Welcome back to the Crit Def Podcast. You're joined by JT, Matt, Corey, and our special guest, E-Dog. E-Dog? Woo-woo! <laughs> <laughs> it's August 26, 2019. We're currently at the BAR 4.0, and we've just wrapped up a couple of major events, including tournaments. We have a lot of things to cover, about an hour to do so, so let's get started. I'd like to welcome everyone back myself. This is Matt. And JT. Semi-permanent guest, Eric Whitley. <laughs> This is the second, second episode. You've been on here both times, so so far, 100% uh, attendance rate. I'm going to say that's uh, definitely semi-permanent semi as well. You're a resident guest. There you go. Okay. Now featuring. Yeah. And I'm Corey, so welcome to the show. And uh, so, kind of like uh, Corey said, we're just following Bar 4.0. We are currently uh, in the midst of the Dreadfane release. It's got an ongoing <laughs> event that's been... The rollout. Uh, so it's to been speak. happening for the last couple weeks, and it's going to continue for the next week. Uh, and we're still waiting for Beast Grave to come out, and that's uh, that's kind of the current state of the game uh, at the moment. So, with that said, it's been three weeks since our first recording. This is now our second episode. What the? Heck? I mean, what have you guys been up to? JT, why don't you why don't you lead off? Um, I've been balancing my time between Underworlds and Warcry. I'm repping both games at our my, at our local store, uh, King Bites Cafe. Um, we ran last weekend. Great guys, uh, turn this one. Sorry. Uh, last weekend we ran our Q3 organized play kit at Gigabytes. Um, had some decent turnout there. Um, we got total eight folks. Um, only dupes on warbands were two spike claws and two mologs which was an interesting turnout um even had some chosen axes show up to get stomped around yeah i'm, I'm sure that's a mystery who that player was <laughs> um love you zach yeah for everyone that doesn't know zach is our resident chosen axes player and uh he is that guy that shows up with chosen axes every time uh just because unless it's actually like oh i don't know he showed up for a while with uh Thunders. Uh, yeah, Thunders. Thunders. But they're still mean, dwarves. Yeah, they're still dwarves. He likes short people. Exactly. <laughs> so, Has yep. anybody ever met his wife? No, I haven't. I have. Is she short? I think so. Everybody's shorter than me. So, Except for Matt. He's Is this going to go on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you're asking me a very subjective question. I don't, I don't know. The yeah, fair, fair enough. All right, so um, circling back. Um... Uh, Matt actually took first place in that event with the uh, Festern Hunger List. I don't know how I did it. Uh, Why am I the only one clapping? Come on. The rat bastards themselves. Because oh, he edged me out. Oh. Edged you out? Yeah. I also edged you out. Either way, a Festering Hungry were winning in that match. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, you no, also brought the Festering Hungry. I did. I it. brought my own spin on it. You did as well. Yeah. Um... But no, so Ben, we did that to you, um, had a couple new people, uh, Christopher Camacho and mm-hmm. Kyler... Kyler Waihee. Waihee, yeah. thank you. Uh, had a couple new guys come out to the competitive scene, which was a, a nice change. And then uh, getting my reps in a war cry, kind of dipping my toes in, feeling things out, getting used to it, throwing my laptop on my models, you know, the <laughs> usual. Christ. Mm. Wow. Uh, so that's me. How about you, Corey? Um, I have spent the last couple of weeks diligently working, as one does, but also getting myself into a plethora of systems, as one also does. Um, I have dipped my toes back into Aristea, uh, which is another arena combat game, which I'll dip into more later on in this episode, as well as trying my hand at 
Riot Quest, which is the hot new product from Privateer Press that will seem oddly familiar to Underworlds players. Again, I'll touch on that a little bit later on in this episode, but I've been giving both of those a shot, so we'll see how they compare and contrast. Cool. Eric, what have you been up to? Um, I've built some Warcry stuff, been playing some Underworlds. I was in the tournament that was mentioned earlier. I think I came bottom of the people who have played for a little while in a solid fifth place. <laughs> I mean, uh, fifth place. You were right above those chosen axes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, wait. I did beat somebody who's been playing longer than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we never actually played. Who are you, uh, who are you playing for Warcry? Uh, I have a few different warbands put together, but uh, I'm most interested in uh, probably the Cypher Lords. Nice. They seem interesting. Very nice. And Matt, the long-awaited, what have you been up to? <laughs> what have I been up to? Well, Corey, I'll tell you what I've been up to. Oh, boy. I also have been working, as one does, because it is not easy funding a plastic crack addiction. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I've been traveling a lot for work. I was up in uh, the Washington, um, you know, slash Seattle, Tacoma area uh, for about a couple weeks. I tried to play a couple games while I was up there. Unfortunately, my schedule didn't coincide with anyone else's. So if any guys are up there that are listening, they're from the Seattle, Seattle area, I apologize for not being able to make it out to that tournament on, uh, I don't know, it was like in the middle of, of August on a Saturday. It's like the one day I couldn't make it out there. So apologize, guys. Hopefully next time. But um, hopefully this is something I can continue to do. Every time I go out for work, kind of announce it or at least like put it out there in like the community, see if there's um, you know people that are around. Try to go experience other meadows. Try to go experience some other play styles and some other groups and just, you know, keep, keep seeing what's out there. Additionally, on top of that, uh, I was lucky enough to get asked by the What the Hex podcast guys uh, with uh, Davey and Phil over there. They asked me to come on to their podcast and kind of be their guest speaker on Magor's Fiends. So I did that. That was definitely a pleasure. Those guys are a ton of fun to talk to, very knowledgeable about the game, and very, uh, you know, have a very professional approach to their, their podcast design. So, you know, um, props to those guys. Good job. And then, um, earn that. You know, just playing the game. I for for Warcry, I think uh, it, for me that looks like a nice side game. I've chosen the Sneeple, as I've nicknamed them, the Snake People. Uh, for any of you guys that know me, I'm not a uh, tabletop you know aficionado. I kind of just came to the game with Warcry, so I don't know the faction like history or any stuff. I think the Sneeple are actually like they're new, right? They're not yeah. even a, yeah. Yeah, they're not even. A thing, the splintered fang. Whatever, dude. They're they're basically <laughs> gladiator and snakes on plain meat. All right. Yeah. And I and I dig that. I dig that about them. Yeah. So they're gonna be my 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 uh you know my main warband for that game. As a fun aside, since they all have the slaves of uh, slaves to darkness keyword in Age of Sigmar, you can run all of the warbands at once of one big army for Age of Sigmar. So it'd be fun to see the snake people run alongside. The um, mm. Untamed Beasts. That's how they get you, huh? Yeah, that's, that's how, how they get that's you. That's how GW oh, yeah. gets you. They're like, hey, yeah. man, you already got part of our oh, army yeah. going on. <laughs> Might as well dive in. We're like, did you collect all of our warbands? <laughs> Fantastic. Did you know where you're just sitting on? So, but yeah, you know, obviously, other than that, um, you know, somehow, you know, walked backwards into a victory in the at our local tournament, you know, was lucky enough to do that. Um, and, you know, really, I think that kind of is... 
you know, leads us into our shout outs portion. We want to give a big shout out to some of our newer players. JT, you want to give a shout out to those guys? Yep. So the the two new guys that showed up on the competitive scene, I mentioned earlier, Christopher Camacho and Kyler Waihe. Um, major props to both of them coming out from their first uh, tournaments in our local scene. Um, Christopher brought Spokal Guard and Kyler brought Molog. Um, and I think they both had a fairly good t- showing. Um, I hope they both had a great time and look forward to seeing them at further events. Um, in the shout outs, I want to do the anti shout out <laughs> to our friend Josh, who's usually one of the top competitors, but I think he just got a little scared this time and he forgot about the tournament. So just, just throwing I'm, it out I'm there. I'm pretty sure he actually told us he was scared to show up. Uh, see? Yeah. He said he was joking, but knowing Josh, he's a leveler, right? So, like, he, uh, he thinks one level above you, so you're like, oh, he just said it he's just being, you know, he's just trying to play it down. But no, he actually was scared. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, no, those are, the, those are the ones I wanted to throw out uh, for this podcast. Uh, great seeing you out, guys. And Kyler, we actually just saw in our casual night tonight earlier. So, we want to keep it coming, guys. I will also like to say that these two new guys in particular, it's nice to see them improve. It's nice to see them develop. Um, this was their first tournament. This is their first time that they actually came out and actually um, competed. And every single time we meet up, we see them improving in how they play, how they understand the game. And it's really, really heartwarming to see. Looking forward to bringing in more new people as we progress. So, yeah, great job, guys. And this guy, I'm just a uh, shout out to all the other new players that are out there in the community. Anyone that's listening for the first time, anyone that's starting to get into the hobby. I know myself, when I first started really getting into this game, Warhammer Underworlds, uh, any type of content for the game, whether it's, whether it's podcasts or blogs or, or just people talking in the community, I ate that stuff up. So if this, if this is your first time kind of dipping your toes into it and we so happen to be it, awesome. You know, continue looking for more uh, inspiration and, uh, you know, welcome because it is a, a great fun time so to top off the cherry on Matt's whipped cream right there um, I want to throw out the uh, the YouTube bat reps as well those are those oh, are some yeah. good things to watch there's especially as a new player there's a bunch of new uh, bat reps yep. on YouTube right are now. we going to yeah. have to uh, throw together some bat reps of our own that would be awesome uh, the camera cannot handle this <laughs> are you sure can't handle you? oh absolutely <laughs> okay. can't handle that beard really. All right. <laughs> or that thumb alright cool uh, other than that just a quick shout out um, to uh, the Nova players that are going out this upcoming weekend. Um, what is it? The 30th? August 30th or 31st, so? 31st, 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 yep. So, where's that? Indiana? Right? No, it's the it's the Metro DC area. I can't remember okay. specifically. Yeah. Is it Northern cool. Virginia. No, is it, um, is it no, like two yeah, we have the power of the internet. We can find that. <laughs> we have the yeah. so so yeah. Just shout out to any players that are going out there. I know there's a bunch of players that are um, you know key people that are part of the community. So good luck to all of you. Uh, unfortunately, none of us are able to make it up there. It's a little bit too big of a trip for us right now, but definitely hoping to make it out there to future events. Yeah, next, next year I think we should we should have a contingent there probably. For sure. We just didn't plan ahead it. enough this time. Take the train ride to DC from Georgia. <sighs> If only, right? No, no, I mean, you can actually ride a train from Georgia to Washington, D.C. It is a very long trip. Yeah, I know some folks that have done Atlanta to Charlottesville before. Yep. I was actually thinking about going to um, South Carolina this weekend for a separate event, not for Underworld, but for something else. But um, Breaking my heart, Corey. Sorry, man. Um, So, um, also, um, so besides that, you know, that's kind of what's going on right now. I think, uh, you know, we had the Gigabytes tournament that we just touched on. 
Uh, JT, what was your experience at that tournament? So, as far as organizing and running an event goes, this is actually one of the easier ones I've had to deal with. Um, I've been TOing for a number of years for different uh, gaming systems, but this is my f uh, first foray into using the Best Coast Pairings app, and I just want to say thank you. Um, from the bottom <laughs> of my heart, this got rid of any spreadsheets, scratch paper, notes passed between me and players, all that stuff had to go out the window. Um, and I set it up, I got everybody registered, they were reporting their own scores, I got to generate the rounds, and they've incorporated the Underworld scoring system with games lost, glory differential, all that. And it made things amazingly simple, so I was actually able to um, get some games in myself as well. Um, I don't know if I would say I competed. I tried to tried to compete with Matt, but didn't quite give it a go. But it's no. hard trying to TO and play at the same time. It is. Um, as a side, real quick, Nova, the Grand Clash is on the 29th. No, okay. Thursday. Thursday. It's a couple wow. days. It's a couple days longer. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of the big. Okay. Anyway, um, yes. Thank you for interrupting, Corey. No, yeah. That's all um, I do. But yeah, no. Um, so that the app actually that helped me immensely from a TOing perspective, and then as far as growing local communities, I think TOing is one of the best ways to do that. So, getting folks out for casual nights and for competitive tournaments, I think both aspects need to go into a balanced meta community, what have you. And so, if you guys want to get involved, I heavily encourage it. Anyone out there listening, just walk up to you, whoever the manager, owner, whatnot of your FLGS, and ask them about it. Just get some casual nights going at first, and then when you and them are a little more comfortable, maybe order an OP kit, just something along those lines. Get out there, try and, I don't want to say push the game because plastic crack and pushing probably shouldn't be associated, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. so proud of you right now. <laughs> I'm <laughs> somewhere Nick Bateman is rubbing his hands together. Yes. Yes. So, but no, I, I do think everybody out there, whether you're in an existing community or not, has something to bring to the table, and I encourage you to explore it. So, definitely. I'll just end with that. Definitely, I think that there there's definitely a lot to be said. It's much appreciated. People that go out there and want to and you know. JT, um, you know, as good as a TO you are, uh, you know, as, as wrong as your, your decisions are during tournaments, we still appreciate you, man. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Blake, but the night right after now. the tournament, screenshotted everything that he was wrong about that I corrected him on when y'all came to me with a question. That is very true. That is very true. It's not easy being a TO, I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, with that said, though, like just real quick, how do you get the how do you get the, the kits? Because like, let's say I wanted to run a tournament mm -hmm. tournament myself, do I just like contact my, my local store and say, hey, we want to run Shadespire, or, or you know? Uh, yeah, I mean stuff? that's like, that, that's the that. place to start. Um, so get in t contact with your local game stores, and they will talk to their distributors or GW directly, the GW rep, and that's how you. The, the initial thing starts. Um, the game store themselves may or may not be hesitant at first to order an OP kit. They do cost them money, so you got to make sure you can get attendance and things. So they might have non-OP price support beforehand for a, a test event or something like that. But afterwards, you can get the quarterly kits and take it from there. Get some cool. promos, some shade glass, or whatever to come out with Beastgrave. Definitely. I think that's... Um 
uh, in order to support your local community, you don't necessarily have to do tournaments. I know it's like, you know, this game is a competitive game, so yeah. people push no, it towards that. That's the ultimate goal. But there's plenty of, uh, I remember when I used to live in a different city, uh, when I first started playing the game, my friend and I, we started playing at one to do a, um, like a, 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 a league, you know what I mean, that lasted like a month long or whatever it is. Whatever it is, try to just get the support of your local uh, game store and get them to give up prizes to, uh, you know, positively reinforce people for playing the game. Um, and one thing on that is that don't don't try to set it up so that way, uh, you know, only the winners get something. Oh, just playing in general, yep. you should get something. Not necessarily the participation trophy, as it were. No. But something to... It's something to encourage you to do idol. better. Right. Um, so the OP kits obviously have a lot of alt art cards and other promotional things. You can get into, if you want to branch out into sportsmanship, painting, um, best terrible dice, whatever you want. <laughs> you can encourage. <laughs> the worst dice. We were talking earlier about <laughs> giving out an award to somebody who loses every single roll-off for <laughs> going first and for placing boards and everything. Yeah. I'm thinking of a suitable trophy for that. We'll get back on that later. Okay. Well, cool. So that was generally your experience at the uh, at our local tournament. Uh, Corey, how about yourself? Um, I did pretty pretty well considering. Um, the night before the tournament, about 3 a.m., I bolted up out of bed and went, <gasps> I didn't build a deck! So I threw together a deck for Night Haunts, which is a warband I had never played before at all. And wound up doing pretty okay. I lost to Blake's Molog in the first round, which was to be expected, because it's Molog. Yeah. Versus Ghosts. Sure. Um... But they performed better than expected. Um, the deck building question was more of an assassination list, where I was expecting to go up against Scritch and other four wound leader based warbands, either it be Eyes of the Nine, or Sepulchral Guard, or Scritch, or even Curse Breakers um, in that particular case. And uh, I faced none of those. And instead, I faced Molog twice and Fire Slayers once. <laughs> well, yeah, four, yeah, four wound fighters somewhere. Yeah, actually, never mind. That was five wounds uninspired. I was gonna say, yeah, that's screwed, buddy. <laughs> um, despite that, I wound up taking second. So that's right. Um, being up against those particular odds, I'm actually really surprised with how well I did. Given my record, I was expecting to place a lot lower in the rung, but I think. JT, you and I were super close, and I think there was some glory differential that only decided us, but as far yeah. as the win-loss record, they were exactly the same. Um, but I'm very... I'm su pleasantly surprised with how well Night Haunts are doing, and I'm sure everybody else who's listening right now is going, Duh! Dude. You idiot! You moron! Of course they're good! You know what? I'm a little slow on the uptake sometimes, so cut me some slack. Well, we played, uh, you know, we'll touch on this a little more later, but we played a, uh, a match-off between your Nighthawk and mm -hmm. my Festering Hungering uh, deck that won that tournament earlier today, just so that way we can actually match those two up and see how they did. And, you know, uh, we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit more in a bit, but mm. I'll just say uh, it, it was a very strong deck, and... You know, I was barely, barely able to, uh, to you know, prevail on that one. So, yeah. no, yeah, Night Hunt right now, very strong. Cool. Thanks. Eric, how did your uh, turn I go? Uh, well, I came fifth, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Uh, been running kind of a 
regular Thundrix deck with all your score immediately uh, for shooting and whatnot. Quick, quick question. How has the bar affected Thundrix from your perspective? <sighs> I don't think it's made them... It's, they're definitely not as top tier as they were, but they still have a lot to uh, work with. You think? I like to hear that. That you know, especially with the newer warbands, um, Gilthari and Thunderic were both positioned very strongly before the BAR, and it's nice to hear that after it didn't cripple them. I know, think Gilthari sure. it took a bigger chunk out of the Guardians than it did out of Thunderic. I absolutely agree. I played it at um, Joe's Garage a couple like almost a month ago. And the BAR hit right after that tournament, and I looked at my list and I was like, "Well, that was can't fun. play this anymore." <laughs> that was what. That was nice. What lasted? <laughs> yeah, I pulled that deck, and two weeks later, it got nerfed. Oh. Yeah. Um, but overall, it's for the health of the game, I think. Correct. Yeah. I have no hard feelings against the BAR. It, it was needed. Oh yeah. I want to take this opportunity to pivot the BAR conversation towards mm -hmm. tomes. So mm -hmm. I think they're they're obviously not nearly. As broken as the Cryptophane Relics were. Catafrain. Yes. Yeah, Catafrain Relics. Yep, sorry. Right. Um, but it seems like on revivable models that those are something that are dangerous, at least, to yes. the stability of the game. So I'm thinking about uh, Eyes of the Nine or uh, Spoke of Guard or Scritch. Um, and re reviving members with all these tomes already on them. Um, yes, in all these cases, you have one model that can do the resing, but you also usually have one ploy per each of those warbands that does it for free after they're gone as well. So what is to stop somebody from piling on the tomes, letting that one person die with Crown of Avarice, and then bringing them back just in time for scoring? Well, the problem there is you have to have all the tomes come out in such a way that you can equip them to begin with, and then at the very end of the game, actually allow them to stay out of action the entire time, so that at the very last activation, you can have that one card in hand and play it. It's just such an unlikely scenario that I think it, it kind of balances itself out. I was also going to say the other problem is two restricted slots. Yeah. So. Tomb of Offerings could be debatable. Yeah. As... A, as uh, is a restrict is a restricted slot worth a single glory in the third phase? Possibly not, and in those cases, that pl that fighter is not necessarily reaping the benefits of that card. You could still Correct. just take the other seven though, and still be pretty solid. Six. six. Oh, six. My six. bad. I thought yeah. it was eight total. Well, there yeah. are, but one's restricted to a wizard. Oh, yeah. okay. And none of the resible fighters are. I wasn't thinking about that. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. But no, um, I don't. I don't think anything's inherently out of balance at the moment. But it does feel like we are on a precipice as far as those go. So I've heard that. I've heard that critique too, saying that the uh, the tomes was a nice idea, but they they made the mistake by adding too many. I think it was actually uh, John Wynn Reese who said that on the most recent uh, Bell for Salvation podcast. And uh, you know, good job for pointing that out. Uh, but still, I think it definitely was necessary to become restricted. With that said, I don't know if I've seen it uh, prevail since then, right? I don't think it's been overpowered since then. That's just my observation, of course, yeah. you know. I, I, plenty of people could exploit we that. We do have know. to remember that within our meta, we do not see those builds very often, though. Correct. Yeah. Um, well, even online, though, just oh, looking yeah, at yeah, the different yeah, decks, you yeah, see definitely. like pop up on the deck builders from... I just mean, as far as who we one. play and who we go against, we seem to be situated in a very aggro-heavy slash transitional meta. We aggro. seem to be living in John Wynn Reese's ideal meta. <laughs> 
we'll touch more on that, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> as, just as a, still as got some festering decks. So, so I mean, yeah, going off of that, I think we've already kind of was like pulled the lid uh, off the <laughs> off this can of worms. Let's just let it out there, right? So the festering, huggering, scaven thing right now, it, it's a pretty big deal within the community from my perspective, right? I'm I'm very active on the. Uh, uh, Warham- the big we call it the big uh, Warhammer Underworlds Discord server as well as on the uh, Facebook pages and stuff Facebook like that page. right and uh, so Mad Skulls came up with this kind of pioneered this idea behind the Skaven deck where you take the Festering Skaven and the Hungering Skaven and you really focus on those two by upgrading them you know with the uh, Black Hunger and the Festering Blades and you let those two go to town and it was just a very refreshing way to look at the game that was outside of the box as far as like, you know, they, they weren't relying on magic, they weren't relying on range, you know, like they're really just relying on like their two kind of dangle bros. It was just such a backwards approach to the game, but still worked. And it was very refreshing to see someone actually make that work. So I know myself, I ran with it, JT ran with it. Um, and I saw that it took off on the Discord server quite a bit, where a lot of people got behind it, started play around with the idea, come up with their own little variations of it, and it, it became like a community project, really. Oh, it's been peddled everywhere. There's somebody, yeah. you go, I want to play my scave, and someone instantly just throws it out there, like, try this, man. Right. Yeah. So, so my point being is that it doesn't matter really how like, competitive it is or not. My point being is that it helped bring the community together in a concerted effort to actually make something work because people wanted something new, right? And that to me was really, really cool. So, um, you know, like I kind of alluded to, we just pulled the, can- the lid off the can of worms. John Wynn Reese recently went on to the Balfour Salvation podcast and talked at length about this. Well, not really at length, I guess, you know, you know five, six minutes, whatever, uh, on this particular deck. And he didn't really have very many positive things to say about it. With that said, like, I understand where he's coming from, right? If you go listen to, well, let's back up a little bit. Go listen to that podcast for yourself. The Balfour, Balfour uh, for Salvation group are a great bunch of guys. But really, just that particular episode has a lot of insight into arguably the best player in the world for Warhammer Underworlds and what he has to say about the game. So go listen to it, you know, form your own opinion. Um, But from my perspective, I get where he's coming from, um, but still I would rebuke that by saying that he may think it's a bad deck overall, that the idea behind it is is, is uh, abusing the rules of the game, and I definitely would disagree because it is a very engaging um, deck, and it still is aggro in nature. You still have to get out there. I mean, you have festering blades it's still interactive. and and, and hunger, still interactive black hunger. Like you, those are you know those are cards that are designed to engage your opponent. You're not trying to hide from them. Um, and just overall, that particular idea, the community has latched onto and, and just kind of like went with it. So, yeah, um, that's kind of the state of, of that uh, particular subject right now. Okay. So what do you guys got to say about it? One of the best parts about that deck is that it takes a warband that isn't all that particularly special in Season 1 and actually brings it up to where it can be competitive. Right. And I'm not saying that we're not everything's competitive right now. But I think it makes this actually like not top tier, but something that can definitely win for sure. It's a strong contender. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I don't, you know, I don't know about you guys. Like, uh, 
there, there's the different types of players, the people that always want to win, the people that are like, you know, they're faction uh, loyalists and all that stuff. Uh, me, I just like winning with the stuff that's kind of the underdog. So um, seeing that that deck and that idea, I, I, you know, I latched onto it. I ran with it. I thought it was pretty cool. Are you guys familiar with Johnny, Timmy, and Spike? No. Okay. It's a Magic the Gathering term. Mm -hmm. um, and it refers to the three archetypes of players that exist in a card game. Uh, uh, Johnny is a person who is in the game specifically to express himself through their deck building, through their strategy, through their particular cunning in how they form their strategy. Can I stop real quick? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Um, a Timmy is somebody who plays the game because they enjoy the big spectacle. Um, in Magic the Gathering, that Timmy would enjoy slamming down a massive creature and beating face with it. In our particular case, a Timmy is just the Moloch player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Insulting Moloch players. Hey, 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 hey. That's no insult. That's just how they play. Spikes play whatever it takes to win. In our particular case, before BAR 4.0, it would either be Moloch players or um, uh, Storm Sires. Yeah, Curse Breakers. Uh, now, it's pretty much fair game. In our particular case, we might see a hybrid of Johnny and Spike players in the form of FNH players. So, we have these kind of player archetypes that are in play, and perhaps we might see them coalesce after this 4.0. So... That's what I have to say about that. I I like that idea, and I kind of want to see, maybe this will transition us to our next topic, but I kind of want to see where that takes us in terms of Season 3. Like, what do these new settings, these new warbands, what are those going to give us in terms of new gameplay well, approaches? I mean, we've seen a lot of stuff kind of hint at in the Dreadfane rules, which I really, really do hope uh, translate uh, or, you know, carry over to the Beast Grave rule set. Or at least some of it. Oh, yeah, right. Maybe not, not the double glory. Yeah, not the yeah. double glory. Well, yeah, of course not. Or that or, like, the random events type stuff. But uh, things such as, like, the, the if you're on guard, you can't be uh, driven, driven back. Yeah. I think it's an awesome idea. It gives That's a lot more incentive for putting uh, fighters on guard and gives a lot more... Uh, you know, kind of like design space. So, on that note, though, what? How would that interact with the Steelheart no interaction defensive list from season one? I mean, that might actually see come back. We've already been brewing a bit of that list. Yeah, you know, where bloodless Steelhearts they take no damage, they don't get driven back. If they're all in a cohesive line, they just get to score passive glory. Um, granted, that particular list doesn't is not high scoring in its. You know, objectives. It's not, but if you introduce the on guard dread thing rules, yes, you then start out bunched up, you go on guard with free ploys, mm -hmm. you walk out to objectives, and you just supremacy one, two, three. Well, everything. Not even walk out. If you um, if you mischievous spirits, your objectives yes. will see you. Yes. Yeah. There um, there are definitely a couple of brews that we've been throwing together that will definitely prove this strategy to be very strong if not oppressive if these particular rules go into effect so we need to be careful about that well with that said though i i really do enjoy the rock paper scissors uh kind of aspect of the game and i think right now it's it is really well balanced uh as far as the current state of the game but i i enjoy the this player wants to play this play style which 
usually wins against this play style, but usually suffers against this play style. And it kind of goes in a nice little circle like that because that to me signifies a lot of balance. So honestly, if they made that an actual, um, you know, part of the game where you can't be driven back while on guard, I wouldn't mind it. I think it would just simply help those control players or help those hold objective players really. Mm-hmm. Those guys key and would kind of force aggro to approach the game in a different way. And, like, to me, that would be a cool change. change I, I agree. I think that we would need to see a rise in the number of ploys that make use of pushing fighters, objectives, right. or things around, if that were the case. Um, I can definitely foresee a cycle of push objective one, one hex. Push objective two, one hex. Push objective three, one hex. I can see that in probably Beast Grave or in some supplementary card pack. Or even more randomly, scatter objective one. There we go. Yeah, if we're going to well, maximize randomness, we might as well scatter, right? I was going to say, we, we, we've got the living objective already. Yes, but we've only got one. We do. We only have one. It's not numbered. Would they even see play, though, if it was like, you know, scatter this one objective? If you're uh, the aggro player, it would. Yeah, you're trying to just get yeah. it off of them in an unpredictable That's manner. True. Honestly, yeah. with the amount of cards that are currently in the game, are we even worried about whether or not OC play? Because we've got <laughs> so many options to choose from now. Well, it's funny, is that you and I were talking about this earlier, because uh, I was asking about you uh, in your uh, your Thorns of the Briar Queen deck, you have Endless Malice, yeah. right? Which allows you to attack again after you've failed an attack. And I was like, hey, with that card, do you think you even need ready for action in your deck? And immediately you're like, yes, yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you, are you an idiot? Like, of course I do. So, well, so it's restricted. No, there, it's there, funny. There were, yeah. there were specific instances where I could definitely find use of ready for action over endless malice, but it's great to have both. Not only, like, so for particular reasons, it's because I'm playing uh, Masterstroke in the objective deck. Endless malice helps with that. You're able to retry a failed one, and then should you have to succeed, that counts for Masterstroke. Right. So my point being, though, is that ready for action is such a powerful card that it's not going to get replaced unless they force it to be replaced, right? Unless they so unless they they it, ban all season one universals or however they do it. Well, not even ban season one universals necessarily, but what if we took the current restricted list and banned it? I would be absolutely okay with that. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent okay. Well, maybe yeah. not season two cards. I don't care. Scorched Earth, the okay. whole thing. Okay. I mean, there's a difference between trying to do what's best for the game and trying to do what's best for I mean, uh, GW's bottom line. No, that's very <laughs> Well, they could yeah. also transition into a magic type thing where I want to call it heritage, but that is not the word for it. What is the, the, the rotation? The rotation. Yeah, what is, uh, what is old magic called that they still play? Uh, legacy. Legacy. Yeah, legacy. Yeah, if they transition into some sort of legacy format where maybe your tournaments aren't running all these cards, but... Yeah. Always. That, that can always be the case. As... As keep, a local promoter, I hope that's not the case because that would diverge your communities where you want to keep them one cohesive group. Yes, they're going to be casual players. Yes, they're going to be competitive players, but they still come together at the same events most of the time. Magic has kind of driven a wedge in there. In, yeah. If you look at your legacy, if you look at your commander, if you look at your rotations, things like that, it, it drives people apart. Well, and they have yeah. way more people to keep that stuff alive. Exactly, right. yeah. I'm they also have way more of a history. They have yeah. 25 Definitely. years of... No, uh, more. Yeah, 27? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. But either way... At risk of dating you, man? Yes. All right. 
We'll leave it at that. Just imagine the Warhammer Underworlds when it gets to their 27th year. Oh my god, you're playing Reavers? <laughs> Whoa, you still have Reavers? They've already re-sculpted them twice. Where'd you find those? Like, oh, my dad passed them down to me. <laughs> oh, Reavers? You can buy a house with those. Yeah, of course GW won't ban those because they're a model company. So. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, see, that, that's, that's one of the biggest conspiracy like speculation things ever is what's going to happen with, with the guards. Yeah. The biggest the biggest speculation right now is that we'll rotate all of the Universal from Season 1. That remains to be seen. Uh, GW has given next to no indication that that's happening. Although, Eric, you brought up a very important yep. point. What is GW doing that may drive a wedge in our plans about rotation? Well, uh, according to our f- good friend Blake, uh, <laughs> a local store is starting to send back Shadespire product. Well, I, I want to clarify the local store. The local store is a GW shop, and it's not just going back. It is part of their annual... Um, direct order recall back to the yeah. warehouses. So and it's not something totally out of the blue for them. No, no, definitely not. And uh, I like the conspiracy approach. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. Go go tinfoil hat and everything. <laughs> but at the same time, like we were talking about earlier for Warcry, there are certain warbands that are actually sold out online and they may just want them for stock, but that's highly unlikely too. But yeah. We'll Unless it's Far Striders, in which case, yeah, they definitely want it for Warcry stock. Yeah. Well, there's the... There's <laughs> hey, no, that. they sold out when Warcry came out. Woo! There's they weren't like, good for Shadespire, but come on. Yeah, true. Cool. Well, I think they kind of... Need all four shredders back. So, so really, like, you know, this game right now, we're in this state where we're waiting for Beast Grave, right? I mean, this game is... is it, it releases things so quickly that we get to the point where, like, cool, that was awesome. Like, I just got power and bound. What's the next thing? And uh, it really does feel like at times, like, uh, you know, the, the instant gratification. You're in that lull from the high is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right now I'm just fiending for the next thing. But um, it does kind of lead into our topic of player burnout and how you can play this game so much to the point where you start to feel overwhelmed with it, right? Or at least, like, not even overwhelmed with it, but just simply you know I've done all these different things I've approached it in all these different ways like what else is there maybe I should move on to something else all I really want to say on that is that's normal that's fine you know I think all of us experience that I'm experiencing that right now myself I think it's why Warcry seems like such a, a appealing game to, to jump into what do you guys think? I'm definitely in agreement um, if not for the particular people that we were meeting up with, I would definitely be taking a bit of a hiatus until Beast Grave launched. But because we have such a good play group, because we socialize so well, it keeps us going. As as weird as it is. Other than some of the new people, though, I think all of us are trying to get into Warcraft. So Correct. Technically, we can all just keep, keep going. rolling. Like right. trade off between the two games. Yeah. No. And that works. Oh yeah. For sure. Yeah, I I can see the burnout aspect. I think there's still a lot of untapped potential in warbands, kind of like the Fester and Hunger gave us an oh, insight yeah. to. Um, one of our local players is doing Eyes of the Nine. Um, he's doing really well with the tomes. I think there's some some potential in that list. Like if we tweak and grow it, I think it's got a good shot at taking some tournaments. But at the same time. We are just kind of iterating over the same cards with the new BARs. Um, 
and it does get a little stale. Um, so what I would actually like to see out of GW is a little bit better pacing. Yeah. As far as a new season goes. So season starts in September. It shouldn't end in, what was it, April, May? May. Yeah. Every four, like every, what, four months? Yeah. Because how long has the game been around now? Two, a little over two years. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah we're a little over two years. Yeah. Over? We're right around two we're, years. We're getting right around two years. Yeah, yeah. okay. Beast Grave will be the two-year anniversary. So there's two seasons in two years, but really with the release schedule of those two seasons, it's not actually no, they, you know, one season per year. It's like one season per one. Well, and then season two months. was longer than the first season by Correct. two warbands, right? No. 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 It included the original stars at Warbands, but those were available from initial release. That might be where I make a mistake when I was looking on Underworlds TV. Right. So there's a lot of different approaches I think they could take with it. I think, you know, people have kind of talked about this left and right on on the different media sources. Um, Personally, I like the idea of releasing Warbands that only have faction-specific cards there. It makes it easier for players that want to get into the game that only want to play that faction. And then they release separate packs that have universal cards, you know, similar to the Power and Bound type stuff. So I love the idea from the player base, but going back to the comment we made earlier, the what's best for the game versus what's best for the bottom line, I don't think we're going to see that. Yeah, we're, yeah. It, it's going to still be, not saying it definitely, but most likely it's going to be distribution through you get your extra cards with whatever order you buy. Yeah. Now, what would you guys feel? About not releasing two warbands at a time, but one warband at a time. I don't think it would make that much. Over of the a course difference. of what time period? You only get your time period. So same cadence, but throughout the year instead. You could do one a month and uh, one every month and a half, I'd say. Yeah. Well, there's eight of them. Right. And then no. Every three months. No, I I like the month idea because yeah, it gives month, you then it a gives four month window with everything else. Well, see, yeah. first month you put out the starter. Yeah. Then you have eight months. Then you go to whatever your pack of cards is at the end, mm-hmm. and then you have maybe a month off instead of five months or not five months. It'd be interesting months. to stagger the universal, like do four universal packs and stagger them between every other warband. Yeah. yeah, they could do that too, but I, I don't know because they're designing the game a year ago yeah. at this point. So and it's important to note that they're designing the game all at once. Yeah. They're designing entire seasons as self-contained bubbles. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, that Nightfall. interact with each other. Yeah, that, that interact with each other. Nightfall was kind of in this lopsided yep. state until uh, two, we finally... Two you know, BARs and one FAQ. Two, two BARs and one FAQ later, and they kind of learned their mistake. And that's part of the problem is they made a mistake with season two. Yep. Um, season one, they were much too conservative, and season two, they were much too liberal with just how crazy they could go with all of their particular mechanics. Um, hopefully they've learned their lesson in Season 3. Partially why I'm super excited is to see what lessons the designers have learned from the development of Season 2. It is a living game. It is a living process. And we will see developments of that process in Season 3 for better or for worse. Yeah, I think th- Season 3 has the most promise of all of them so far. I think they've at least had enough time to see what happened during Season 1 to start to implement a couple different changes for Season 3. First indication of change, they listen to us going, Ugh, more Stormcast! <laughs> so, I don't know about you guys, I was like, thing. hey, where's, where's the Stormcast this Season yeah. 3 at? But personally, I'm a fan of Stormcast, so, you know. Whatever. No, but whatever. I, I do want to make two intercessions at this point. The first one, 
any GW reps, if you're listening, I apologize, but your playtesting has been horrendous. Let's see if we can open that up. Maybe include some NDAs and fun things like that, but let's get into the community. Um, I know it's not traditionally a GW thing to do, but I think it is more of a getting with the times move than anything else. Yes, absolutely. We know a lot of other major mainstream games that... Yes, please. Um, For any of our listeners that are wondering what just happened there... Uh, Eric's getting up and getting us all some uh, adult beverages for the table. So, just like as we uh, like to, to, to kind of put out there, you know, this is a home-style podcast, and we like to be relaxed. Yes, Cheers. Very much so. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. And to you at home, if you're listening, and you haven't cracked a beer yet, or a wine, or whatever adult beverage you happen to be partaking in, Cheers. Only at home, though, not on your way to work. I was going to say, if you're working and listening, please don't do this. If you're driving, at least keep it below the window so but, the cop doesn't see. But when you get home, when you get home, turn it back on and cheers, brother. <laughs> Crack one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, playtesting, I think, is one area that we could definitely help with. Um, I know that the community hasn't been involved in playtesting yet, but I know we've been involved in reveals, which is a step in the right direction, I feel. Correct. So, kudos on that one. So, those, that was what I wanted to point out there. Um, um, I don't know if it is or isn't, but isn't a certain amount of the community involved in playtesting? Maybe not in this I country. I don't believe so. Well, so there is the reason I ask is because I've actually seen arguments about whether a playtester should be allowed at a tournament or not. So, uh, right. I saw so, this on the, the Facebook page, and uh, not to get on a tangent, so, so, no, I, I, I'm just wondering if there are people involved. And I and I, I know where you're coming from because recently I know the um, yeah actually I, I, I won't say this names is on the Facebook or, page though. So yeah, I won't say like names of anybody who like said this and stuff like that. Just not to bring heat to them or any type of stuff. But uh, I know of a couple different um, you know players out there that have mentioned. That they were at, you know, a grand clash, um, like a, a big event, right? And had players that were there that were part of the play testing. They didn't think that was very fair. Personally, I have no idea who the specific people are they're referencing. I don't think it's anyone in the United States. And this has to be UK based. Right. So. But, and I don't think it really matters. It's the principle behind it, right? Yeah. Should they be allowed into that tournament? Um, Definitely, they're part of the community just like yeah, the rest I was, of us. I was about to say, like to me, I would absolutely, say, for, go for it. Foregone knowledge of whether or not a card is going to be relevant in three to six months is not going to turn determine your dice roll. Well, I mean, so upper hand and crown of avarice. Yeah, those are two big cards that, for me personally, at the ATC, I learned were very very key cards. Oh yeah, and that that had just come out. Well, Crown of Avarice came out in. Uh, did that come out before Thundrix. We were talking about it actually for Sepulchral Garden Thundrix. So right. like as soon as they came out. So that's on me for not knowing that. Maybe. But but upper hand. Well, the FAQ also changed how it worked and right. technically is, made it better for you. Which is a, a topic for another discussion. But yep. <laughs> but we'll keep it at that. But upper hand uh, had just come out at the time with a power and bound pack. And that card is very, very powerful, which at the time was still like ambiguous. Does it does it does it trigger off of zero successes for both the uh, attacker and defender? Does it trigger off of one success for both or, or whatever? And personally, I didn't take it, and now I wish I had. 
right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Had a play tester been involved in that tournament and they had seen this card, they may have been like, oh, well, that's a good card. I'm so it. given the ATC experience, which unfortunately is the only large-scale tournament I've been at so far for this game, but when we were there, we weren't sure even which way they were going to rule it. So that's I don't true. think the playtesters had an inherent advantage. Right. No. Even in the deck building process, because the TO in that game, or in that tournament, could have easily said, 0-0 zero, zero is not a tie. Right. Which, I, for the media out there, I disagree with wholeheartedly, but yeah. it was an argument. We already we did already have a ruling from a previous Grand Clash, I forget where it was, but it was there was a general consensus of where that card in particular was ruled, but... JT's point still stands. Playtesters would not know this unless the community knew this. Yep. So, I don't think playtesters would be at an inherent advantage going into a tournament like this with those particular cards. Yeah, so until you see playtesters winning events uh, more often than, than you know, think they should, uh, <laughs> I don't really think it's a, it's a big deal. All right. And um, not relevant to Underworlds per se, but Having experience in the fantasy flight competitive scene, I think we, I have at least observed personally that playtesting did not lead to a competitive advantage. Um, I regularly played competitively with a number of playtesters, and I had no insight into what they knew, but I think I was just as competitive as they were as the meta evolved, so I just want to leave that there. but yeah, I just wanted to bring that up, and I'm glad that we we, we covered it so thoroughly. I know it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. All right, problem been... solved. We got it, guys. Like, <laughs> GW, you can rest assured. Just We're good. give us the keys to Ferrari. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, if you want a surefire way for your game to succeed to actually involve community playtesters, you'll actually get positive results. Right. Well, I mean, that's a, uh, that's a pretty radical idea, though. Man, when we get get the the actual people who play the game involved in the play testing, what? <laughs> okay, I, I will say though, GW in the past few years has been very positive about turning around their anti-consumer agenda. I guess that was <laughs> damn. So, so I don't know if it's that point. <laughs> Uh, it was. It's more like it's anti-player, but still buy this crap. You understand. No. I'm going to go back to my college days. This is a very inelastic uh, product right now. There's I, a high demand and a low supply, and they don't care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's neither here nor there right now. Just, Just want to touch on that. But to your current Greater Demons Slanesh run, it's like. Are you talking about Keeper Secrets or what? Keeper Secrets, yeah. That's like 110? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 130? Yeah. Yeah, roughly, give or take. Yeah. Um, but at least they're listening to us going, Ah, oh, they're 130, that's a little steep. And they're going, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> but at least they're saying, yeah, that's nice. Oh, no, the last, the last price hack we got made was like old models, like the Wraith, uh, the Wraith Knight going and up, like starting boxes. Start collecting boxes. Anyway, tangent. Tangent. Yes. Tangent. Apologies. Yeah. No worries. What's our next point? Our next point, really, like quite honestly, there's really like two points um, that I, I really had. One of them is that we never really circled back around to our battle report. Correct. Let's oh, take right. care of that. Yes. Real quick. All, right. all right. So our battle report is the F and H, the infamous Agent H and F, F and H list versus. Festering and hungry. Go yeah, festering and hungry. Yeah, go home, Corey. You're drunk. I'm already at home. Shush. <laughs> um, versus assassin 
Right. So Which, uh, yeah, I got a full dose of. <laughs> Thor's the Briar Queen. So to be specific at this so point. So real quick, let's go through this. Um, not play by play because we don't have time for that, and I'm sure you guys listening, you don't have time for that either. Patience for that. But it did go to a best of three, right? We we played a best of three match. It did go to game three. Correct. Right. So in the first game, we were still trying to feel feel each other's out, uh, feel each other's uh, decks out, and I won the board roll off. You, what? <laughs> Grow oh. up. Grow up. Please get that on the court. Is that going to go? No, leave that shit. <laughs> oh, he, he rolled one crit versus my three holes. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, my science. All right. So, um, but yeah, so naturally, I... Shit. <laughs> I'm going to try to start off from, like, not a no, laugh. So, um, <laughs> you took first game, uh, even though I had a assassinated Scritch in the first round. Exactly. Um, the Briar Queen herself actually teleported in and was able to deal lethal damage to Scritch in round one. And kill Scritch and by the end of round in, one. Yes. In, um, in case you weren't up to the up with us at this point, Scritch was dead at round one. <laughs> um, but my well, deck bricked hard. Right. And my deck so happened to roll out in such a fashion that I was able to still consistently score glory. And I have, you know, superior tactician. So that was my whole goal, was just score passive glory to unlock superior tactician for the big boost at the very end. Yes. Which, uh, Corey, correct me if I'm wrong, but we'll be able to, to link the decks after. Yes. Um, cool. We'll build out both of the decks um, before we post this episode live, and we'll make sure that we get these links out so that... Should you want to reference these decks if you happen to be a person who wants to play the FNH list, or if you want to play this Night Hunts list that I was making? The Martin tweak on the FNH list. Uh, Matt Martin, or Matt Redhand Martin, as it's yeah. so been dubbed by the uh, What the Hecks podcast guys. The Red Rats <laughs> list is what you're saying? I personally like to call them the Inglorious Bastards, the Inglorious Rat Bastards. I, I enjoy that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, mine are the, the Stabby Night Hunts. Yeah. So, Stabby boys. So in that first game, yeah, Sorry, you teleported the, the, the Briar Queen in there. She assassinated Scritch, but still was able to prevail. Um, yeah. And the score from that first game, I have it right here, 6U, yes. 15 me. Correct. So and that was mainly because I only scored two instant objectives, two surge objectives yeah. over the course of And the rest of that was that from kills. Game. Yes. And the yeah. rest of it was from kills. And then your deck, your objective deck just bricked. Yes. So... Cool. That was the first game. The second game, uh, we went into it, and uh, I kind of blacked it out because <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> so you can remind us of that. <laughs> um, there, there were a bit of plays that we had to make. If I remember correctly, um, I so all three rounds. Let me clarify. We did assassinate Scritch at some point, which is key to defeating the Ephanagelist, is if you don't bring back the primary Resurrector, the primary Necromancer, the primary Rat Boy, then yeah. you're in good shape. It's just like the movies. Yeah, you know, no big deal. Um, and for that particular one, I was able to actually draw objectives in a fashion where um, the deck is very surge-heavy. It's I think it's running seven surge objectives. Um, I'd call that normal. Yeah, yeah at, at this, this particular stage of the game, right. I'd call it normal. Yeah, I think base is five 
uh, surge cards, which by the way, I just want to point out we're calling it surge cards, and that's a thing now, so just get on board with it. Those are the score immediates. Um, but right. yeah, I think minimum nowadays is five. I would say. I think you don't really see competitive decks with less than five Correct. score meets in there. Yeah. Yeah. Usually um, it's, it's more up there like seven. Seven, eight, eight. eight. Yeah. And particularly why this this round was so successful for me was I was able to score every single objective in my hand as it came up. Um, and being able to constantly lean into the flow of the game and low in... Uh, oh. Full, <laughs> did you just have to put hand in an empty can? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost out of Oh, buddy. It's everything um, wouldn't fit. Lean into the flow of the game. Lean into um, successful dice rolls. By the way, round one, I rolled a, a grand total of five successful crit defenses. Yeah, which... and, uh, you know, I wasn't even mad because, uh, you know, <laughs> I think it was only a sign. I need to uh, slim an <laughs> air horn every time I roll a crit defense. Just... Yeah. No, Just... no, no, no. What we need is a, that was easy button. Yeah. And aside, uh, the fact that you were playing with Thorns of the Briar Queen, which already are throwing a lot of defensive dice, and I was playing Spice Claw, uh, Spike Claw Thorn, uh, Swarm, who had a lot of defensive dice as well, there were crit deaths left and right, left and right. <laughs> the whole game, maybe. and it made me so happy. <laughs> there, there were there were many, many cries of, stop it! God bless it. Damn it. At many points, we were just back and forth, Demon. <laughs> Demon. Demon. So um, yeah, that second game you ended up taking it. Fourteen yeah. to ten by uh, my calculations. It was you know. a very close margin. Um, I still have sweat stains from that game. <laughs> and then we went to the third game. Yes. And the third game, um, so I'll self admittedly <laughs> say right now, my luck went straight down the tube with I think it was Festering. I had Festering Blades on him, so he was rolling, uh, and, and Great Strength on him. So he was doing four damage off of a crit. And I rolled one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven different attacks on him. I can't remember the exact number of attacks I did with him, but I, I had an upgrade on him. Um, um, what's it called? Um, Glory Seeker. Yeah. That's so it. I had an extra dice uh, for a couple of those attacks, but I calculated it. 19 dice. I rolled one crit out of those 19 attack dice. How many successes? And I think I, I think I just lost my mind at that point. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, he was not in a good place. <laughs> I was not. And I totally understand this game is a game of skill and luck plays a factor, but really it's more about skill. But at a certain point, when you roll 19 attack dice and roll one critical, you're going to go on tilt just a little bit. Just, <laughs> there were, there were a lot of half supports you rolled that day. Yeah, which would have been great if I had, like, a, what's that? Uh, Spirit Bond. Bond. Or, you know, Maybe some helpful or, whispers. Yeah. Yeah. whispers. Oh, yeah. Maybe I need to put that in there. There you go. Spirit Bond plus arm's length. Perfect. But, but either way, you still... The thing that blew my mind is that you still dominated me that game. And yeah. somehow I won. Yeah. Um, your deck in particular had a lot of... Uh, passive glory that didn't require much interaction at all in terms of rolling successful dice rolls or um, that we talked about miraculous escape being a potential weakness of your deck uh, that we will rectify in coming. That's in, right. 
the incoming reviews. Because three dice attacks are actually not as common as you'd think they are. Correct. Nope. And anytime they are three dice attacks, it's usually because like someone has like potion of rage or some yeah. type of like yeah. extra it's aggressive fighting thing. dwarfs. Yeah. And sky dwarfs. And they're, and they're throwing like hammers yeah. and they usually beat you. Yeah, <laughs> so, they usually beat you by a yeah. very large margin. So it really is a miraculous escape if you can pull that off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. But either way, um, in the end, I was able to pull that out. So uh, the Inglorious Rap Bastards maintain their title. I hold on to my Shade Glass trophy. Did not have to <laughs> hand it over to you yes. this day. <laughs> but but it, it was definitely a matchup that I wanted to at least clock in to get an idea of what playing against that deck was like with a deck that I had particularly text, teched against it. All right. So, with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's definitely a, a fun approach to the game. Try it out if you like. If not, uh, I definitely encourage you to try out the same approach, really, as far as like uh, principles, to any other warband. Try to think outside the box. Try to look at uh, whatever it is. Like I know right now, like I think Iron Skulls boys would be really, really fun. Let's see the rise of the orcs. If someone yeah. is able to be like. You know, find, uh, who is it? Uh, not Hacka. Was it Basha? Basha. And Hacka, Basha, um, Bonecutter. Okay, yeah. Oh, so it's Hacka, Basha. Amon just won with Iron Skulls, right? Yeah. 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 Just that a, what turn was it? Good on him. Way to go, Amon. Yeah, good for you. After my own heart. <laughs> but just approach the game. Try to think outside the box. I think there's a lot of different possibilities with the game. So um, it is what you make it. With that said, though, there still is the player burnout thing, which we touched on earlier, and there's different options out there for you, which... So, I do want to mention Arena Mortis. If you guys haven't tried it, give it a go. Super fun. Maybe consider banning relics, though. Just going to throw that out there. Well, yeah, there's... So, the the game uh, already, if you guys don't know out there... It's a, a, a variation on the game that's suggested in one of the White Dwarf issues, right? The July. Mm-hmm. July. Yep. And um, it suggests a couple different cards to ban for upgrades, but there is a lot of kind of like uh, you know playtesting feedback saying you should ban even more than that. Yep. And I would agree with it. So give it a try, but there's yeah. definitely uh, you should yeah. take a little step it, further. It, it's fresh. I'm not going to call it quick. It takes a little while to run through. But um, for a change of pace, give it a go. Yeah, cool, guys. So uh, you know, I think that kind of concludes our, our thoughts for tonight and our discussion topics. Um, is there any like final thoughts you guys want to throw in there? I want to thank you all for listening so much. This podcast means a lot to us, and we're really happy that you all can tune in and follow us for the indeterminate amount of time between podcasts that we post. Um, we are going to try and be every two to three weeks, depending on Mr. Martin's scheduling. My <laughs> schedule. Yeah. Well, You're the only one that travels to work. It's true. You are the only one who travels outside of Atlantis well, anyway. True else. Atlanta commuters, you know, road warriors. <laughs> yeah. Eric, you can just cover down anytime I'm gone and what that is. <laughs> so. No, um, before next time we meet, I hope to have more details on Beast Grave. We'll see. We know it's about a month out at this point I think um, I also want to hear the results of the Nova Open correct I think yep. that's going to be enlightening in terms of how the meta has drifted and after BAR4 after Festering Hunger all those good things so those are my high points of the coming weeks so keep your eyes open ears tuned
enjoy it, folks. I'm hoping to uh, get the snake people for War, War Cry kind of assembled and painted up. Uh, yeah, that would be my first like approach to a, a tradi- more traditional uh, tabletop wargaming you know, group of models and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think that would be a pretty yeah. fun approach, and uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. And don't you worry, folks at home. I will beat his ass for you. Yeah. <laughs> I know you all are worried out there, but nope. <laughs> I am looking forward to having better audio production gear by the time we record our next podcast. Currently, I'm looking at about, what is it, like we, we ran the math, about $500, $600 worth of equipment. Yeah, we'll figure it out. It'll be okay. Yeah, okay. We'll see how that turns out. Hopefully. But we're hoping to be able to broadcast from a restaurant at some point. Yes. Give me dinner. It would be or, nice to... Or GameCast are in-progress matches. Yes. Either of those are both viable options with you what we're trying to do. You can actually all. hear me swearing in, in live <laughs> real we, time. We can, we can hear you <laughs> tilting in real time. It's fine. We'll, we'll eventually get the tilt sync where all four of us will tilt on our particular games. <laughs> oh, God. All at once. All the crit deaths. <laughs> all at once. <laughs> We'll have a little uh, register cha-ching noise whenever we get a great death. It'll be great. Cool. But yeah, no, definitely stay tuned, folks. Hopefully two weeks or so until our next podcast is out. Appreciate y'all joining us for the last hour or so. And catch you on the crit death side. (laughs) (laughs) All right, signing off. This is Matt. This is Corey. And JT. This is Eric. E-Dog. E-Dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> just go back we'll recut it yeah no we won't take care guys <laughs>